0: so much why don't you just stand to your feet you've been sitting for a while stand to your feet have a little do a little silent disco for just a second (laughs) have a little stretch great let me pray for us you grab your seats father thank you for this. What a great day. What a great moment to share what you've done in these lives, God. We thank you for all of us who've been able to play a part in that, but we recognize it's your work. It's your good news. It's your son who came and died that we might have life. And we just celebrate this day with them together in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to grab your seats? Well, it's an amazing day, isn't it? Thrilled to be here. Part of this and uh, baptisms are just going to be phenomenal at the end. And it's a real privilege to baptise my uh, youngest son, Ethan. That's going to be a real honour. Actually, whenever we go swimming, I've been practising baptism on him. Uh, So he's been baptised actually about 500 times before, just an excuse to dunk him under the water. But today we get to do it for real, which is great. And You know, so many today are looking for purpose. What excites me about these who got baptized and those in the first service is that they found purpose today. They found that their life fits within the big story of God's restoration on this planet, that he's bringing justice and hope and healing and freedom onto our planet and we get to play a part and they now get to play a part in that. It's not always easy. It's not always straightforward. There are challenges as we've heard already, but that God has got a plan and we're part of it. And so you know, uh, as we just speak for a few moments, as we look today, we're recognising God's story and our place within it. And and if you're not yet a Christian, you're probably looking in perhaps and thinking, what's all this about? Perhaps you've got friends or family here are being baptised, or you just happen to have turned up this Sunday and are, and are hearing it and, and seeing what's, what's happening here and hearing about the silent disco and witnessing the silent disco. And, uh, you know, as we kind of go forward today, what we're doing as a, a church at the moment is looking at series of stories from the Old Testament the first part of the Bible where we're looking at a man called Elijah And we're getting to hear Elijah's story. And I'm kind of glad that you're here today because this is not a good day for Elijah that we're going to look at. In fact, this is his worst day. This is his his bleakest day. This is his dark day. And and I'm glad you get to see that because the the impression can be that Christianity is all kind of smiles and and joy, whereas actually the reality is God is still the God when it's not an Instagram day. God is still the God when it's a bad hair day and even worse than a bad hair day. God is still the God and you're going to get to see that That story. The title for the message today is Down But Not Out, Overcoming Discouragement to to Step Into Your Destiny. Down But Not Out, Overcoming Discouragement to Step Into Your Destiny. That is a a cheery title, I know, you're welcome. Um, But the reality is discouragement comes to all of us Every one of us at times will face discouragement, despair, even depression. Discouragement comes to each one of us. Some of the greatest Christian leaders of all time have faced dark nights of the soul. Um, uh, uh, Deal Moody, uh, Lloyd-Jones, some of the incredible speakers, Mother Teresa, Henry Nowen, on and on and on, Martin Luther King, uh, 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 have faced this kind of moments in their lives where they faced heaviness and darkness and despair and even uh, depression, or what I like to call the ice cream van Monday. (laughs) You ever had an ice cream van Monday where you're driving or walking into work or school or wherever you're going and you're feeling just, it's just Monday. But it's not just Monday, it's an ice cream van Monday and you're driving along and you're walking along and you suddenly think you just feel so bleak and then you see the ice cream man or lady and you think to yourself oh, what I would give to just do that job. (laughs) I mean just... Oh, just to do that job and just to drive around and you pull over and everyone's happy to see you you know you're going into the workplace and people aren't going to be happy to and you just know you're in customer service and you think no I just want to be an ice cream van person I want they can pull over the parents love me the kids love me the dogs even love me everyone loves me and, it's, and I'm going to give out my 99s and i am put an f- extra flake in it just because I'm feeling glad that that's what I'm doing. And it's sunny because you forget that it's only sunny on three days of the year because this is a fantasy and in a fantasy it's always sunny. It's sunny and I'm just, that's what I wanted, that's what I should be doing. Anyone ever had an ice cream van Monday? Or whatever. I mean, I I wonder what happens to those who actually do that job. Maybe they have a a a donut shop Monday. I don't know what they do, but the reality is we all have these kind of days. And this is a timely message as as well, because as a nation, discouragement is everywhere. We are facing national discouragement where we have an election where people do not know where to turn and many who've been faithful voters all their lives don't know how to vote. There is discouragement everywhere in our nation and when the nation is discouraged, the nation needs the church to be encouraged. We need to be the people who are carrying the encouragement of God. So let's read this story about Elijah. Let's read his story of his dark day. He's just had this incredible victory, which those of you around last week heard about. His incredible victory where he literally called down fire from heaven and proved to a whole nation that God is on the throne and that God exists. However, the king of the day, Ahab, and his even worse, was a a wicked guy, and his worst wife, Jezebel, were not finished. And this is what it says. Ahab told Jezebel of all that Elijah had done and how he'd killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also. If I don't make your life as the life of those by this time tomorrow, basically I'm going to kill you. And Elijah was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under the broom tree. And he asked that he might day, die, saying, It's enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I'm here, and I'm no better than my father's. He lay down and slept under the tree. And an angel came and touched him and said, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was, his, well, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey's too great for you. And he arose and he ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. Elijah's here is at his peak. He's at the zenith of his kind of career. An incredible breakthrough has happened. He's turned the people of God back towards God, but then he goes into this bleak place. Why? Because he gets this intimidation. This intimidation comes at him from the rulers of the day. Chris Ballaton, a good friend of ours of this church, he says this, the dogs of doom bark at the door of your destiny. I love that. The dogs of doom bark at the door of your destiny. The problem is that even sometimes after you've stepped through the door of your destiny, they keep on barking. They will not shut up. They just keep on going. And Elijah's like that. He's walked through the door of his destiny. He's faced this incredible pressure. He's gone through the other side, but the dogs are still barking. Uh, 1 Timothy 3 says this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's encouraging, isn't it? (laughs) You know, anyone got that memory verse on your fridge? Everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. I'm sure Mike didn't write that out and give that all to all the people who are being baptized. Here you go. Here's something to encourage you on the journey ahead. Everyone will be persecuted. But to be honest, it's not a promise, but it's a statement of fact. There is baptism. there are battles ahead. Discouragement comes to everyone. And no matter though how it comes, whether it's through intimidation, whether it's through uh, uh, dis- disappointment, whether it's through sickness, however it comes to us, the reality is it's not what comes or wh- when it comes because it will come. The reality is what's important is how you respond to it. How do you respond to it? And Elijah gets lost. He gets lost. He gets lost because he loses his commitment to God's word. This was a guy who had never gone anywhere unless God said. You read it right the way through the story. God said this, he goes. God said, go there, he goes. God said, go there, he goes. But on this occasion, he went and God had never said go. He runs from this word, even though God had never said to him, "Go." in fact, in a previous occasion, God had told him to run. He had told him to flee, but this time he hasn't said it, but Elijah goes anyway. Why? Because of this intimidation. He lost his commitment to God's word. And I've seen it again and again. Christian leaders, Christians doing well, running well, and then suddenly their commitment to God's word starts to fade. And they've had videos and they've done preachers online, but suddenly their commitment to God's word starts to fade and they start to say strange things. And you start to think, where did they get that from? That's not in the book, and, and, and I've seen it in individuals. I've seen it in ministries. I've seen it again and again. What, what goes first very often, where we get lost very often, is when we lose a commitment to God's word. And then he loses his connection to the people of God. He isolates himself. Notice, even from his servant, he, he goes with, a, with his servant, but then he goes a little bit further, and he isolates himself even further. And that's how we get lost again, is when we come into these seasons, we often isolate ourselves. And we want to often separate ourselves from God's people. And and Elijah does exactly that. And I've been tempted to do that. You know, when I was a a young Christian, I had these doubts about my faith and these questions. uh, And I began to kind of question the things that I'd been taught growing up. But instead of talking to someone about them, I just buried it. I just thought, no, 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 good Christians don't think like these. These are doubts. No one will be able to handle this. I won't tell anyone. and So I just buried it deep within. And what happened? Ultimately, I isolated myself, and it caused a massive crisis in my life. You know, King's Arms is a place where you can share your doubts. You can share your fears. You can share your concerns. We've got people who are happy to talk about that stuff. In our family, every member of our family has had doubts and questions, but we decided, Carol and I, we would make our our home a safe place to talk about that stuff. We can just get it out. Why? Because isolation is such a danger of us getting lost. And he lost his vision of the greatness of God. Isaiah, this guy, Elijah, had faced up to 450 enemies in the face in an massive encounter. He'd seen God... literally strike the earth with lightning and set a whole sacrifice on fire. He knew the power of God, but somehow he'd lost it. He knew that the, the gods that Jezebel was threatening with weren't gods at all. He'd proved it just a few days earlier, and yet somehow he lost it. He lost connection with the greatness and the power of God. There was no reason for him to be afraid. There was no reason for him to be afraid, and and the same can happen to us, you know, we get this amazing new opportunity, maybe a new job, and we we know that God's done it, we know that God has opened the door, but then what happens, there's a threat, there's some issue around our faith, and and we realise, if I'm going to live for Christ in this place, I'm going to have to dial it back a little bit, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to, I might have to compromise here, and what happens, we forget the greatness of the God who gave us the job in the first place, We forget that he's the one who could give us another job if it all goes pear-shaped here. We forget that he is the great one in this story. And so we come under the intimidation and we get lost. He got lost because he lost his passion for God or for really anything else. And and that can happen to us. One of the, the things that makes me happiest is seeing people get physically healed. It's one of the things that I'm called to. But I remember a season where, you know, I just, just lost that passion. For a number of years, I'd still pray for the sick. When I began, you know, I'd go home and Caroline would say, what happened, you know, on this trip? I'd say, oh, you know, there was this guy, and then we prayed for him, and his back got healed. It was amazing. And then a few years later, Caroline asked the same question. Hey, what happened? Oh, well, it was just a few backs got healed. Anything in the fridge? <laughs> lost the, what, what happened? Same question something went on on the inside, got lost. he lost his desire even to live. And you know what? Elijah was not the first person to lose that desire. You look through the Bible at some of the great leaders. Moses said to God, you might as well kill me now. Jeremiah said, I wish I'd never been born. Again and again, some of the greatest leaders lose their desire even for life. And here's the point. On, On a car, you have... A dashboard, and on the dashboard you have lights. Now, some of those lights are just for interest. You know, you're turning right. You know you're turning right, but there's a little light that says, Hey, you're turning right. Hey, just wanted to let you know you're turning right. There's a light on your CD player that says, Hey, your CD player's on. You know your CD player's on, but there's a light that tells you that. These are just for information. These are out of interest, but there are some lights that you do not ignore. <laughs> the engine management warning light. When it comes on, you ignore it at your peril. There's some spouses nudging their spouse. You ignore that light at your peril because if you ignore that light, if you don't pull that car over, sooner or later, that car's going to pull you over. It just won't keep going. And this is the point. God has given us these spiritual warning lights that when we start to see these signs, we lose the passion for things of God. We lose the, 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 sight, the sense of the greatness of God. We lose a passion for his word. When, they, when we start to see these signs, don't ignore them. Don't ignore them. We don't know how long Elijah had been ignoring these signs, but he clearly had been ignoring them because he got lost. And we can so easily get lost if we ignore these signs. Look out for the spiritual signs. And I want to say to you who are getting baptized today, look out for these signs on your journey. This is a high moment for you today, but there will come low moments. And when they come, you can head those low moments off if you will look out for the spiritual red warning lights. These signs, wanting to withdraw, wanting to isolate yourself, these are signs that something's not right. Something God is wanting to intervene Look out for them. You know, I mean, just a silly example for me. I love playing games, any type of games. I always have, ever since I was a kid and I've not grown up. I love video games, I love board games. I think there's a, the, one of my strengths is strategy and there's just not enough strategy. I can't strategize enough people in different places. It's just, there's just not enough to be done. So I have to take it out on board games or video games or wherever. just to, you know, so I don't annoy people. Uh, and, and that's the reality, I just love it. But there was a season where I just thought, oh, do you know, I'm sick of playing games. I'm sick, I'm just bored of it. I just I just and I started to sell a load of games, which I've subsequently rebought. Because <laughs> I've come out of that season. But it was a warning sign. The things that I, I I love. You know, love for games, that's a gift from God, as is love for art, as his love for nature, as is these are gifts from God that, that make you feel alive. But when you start the things that you used to love start to become dead to you, these are warning signs. A friend of mine, he loves worship. He loves worship. And yet when I hear him get a little bit bored about of worship and not quite as engaged as he was in worship, it's a red sign. It's a red light. It's the it's the warning light. What are the signs for you that you need to watch out for in your spiritual journey? Many suffer in silence. They think, Oh no, no, mature Christians don't don't, you know, mature Christians just motor through this stuff. Mature Christians don't have these issues. This story of Elijah is meant to encourage us. The Bible says he was a man just like us, and he was. He got discouraged just like we do. The the reality is you've gotta listen to those warning signs because everyone has them. Everyone has them and you ignore them at your spiritual peril. God is wanting to warn us today about these things. Elijah got lost, the good news is this, God had a restoration plan. (laughs) Here's the good news, no matter how far you've got lost, no matter how far you've gone off track, God has a plan. He has a plan to restore, and very simply, his plan starts with what? Rest and food. Can I have a a witness? Can I have a hallelujah? (laughs) Because so often, so often, one of the reasons we've got lost is we've pushed ourselves too hard. We've gone beyond what God was calling us to do. We pushed ourselves too hard and so we got lost. So God's rescue plan for Elijah and I think for us is the same very often, rest and food. Because you know what it is when you're in the funk, when you're down and you're low, what do you want to do? You want to stay up late, you want to eat junk food and you want to binge watch TV. Or is that just me? Or whatever your particular poison happens to be. Because what, what, what's the reality? The enemy wants you, to, you're, you're low, and the enemy wants you to poison yourself even more. He wants you overtired, he wants you unfit and out of shape, and he wants you just watching stuff that you shouldn't watch for too long. And the reality is one of the first steps back from that place is get some boundaries around yourself again. M- make some steps to eat more healthily. <laughs> Make some steps to get some exercise. Make some steps to get to bed on time. Make some steps to, to put some boundaries around things that are fine. It's fine to watch you know, a couple of episodes or something. But when you're watching 10 in one night, that's a red sign right there. Put some boundaries around things and bring them back into order. It's the first steps. Bring it. And you think, I know because I've been in this place. And you're in the place, you're thinking, no, I can't. I'm just, I'm just loving being completely out of control. I'm tired with my boundaried life. Anyone else recognize that voice? That's the last thing you want to do. And everyone around you is saying, you know, you, it's a little bit out of control, you know. But the last thing you want to do, but you've got to take those small steps. Even if you think, you know what, I, would have, I was going to have five miles, miles, I'll just have one. You know, whatever it takes, take some small steps back to order because it's in that place that you can start to recover and replenish. Elijah, though, is in deep. You know you're in deep. When an angel appearing and giving you supernatural food that lasts for 40 days doesn't get you out of your funk, that's a real funk right there. You think you've been in a funk? Elijah's in a real funk right here. And this is what it says of the story. He came to a cave and he stayed in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets and the sword. And I, even only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. And here God's rescue plan continued because God gets to the heart. And this is why I just love the Lord because with one question, he can expose the heart. One question from God can change your life. One word from God can change your life. One question from, from God can transform your life. And he asks Elijah a question and in a simple question, out it all comes. It exposes the heart. It shows how he'd got lost. He'd, he'd lost his focus on what God had done and was starting to focus on what God had not yet done. He, he lost his ability to see the victory and was focused on the defeat. Notice that he doesn't mention the miracles that he's seen, the, the boy he'd raised from the dead. He doesn't mention the, the breakthrough in the in the in in seeing the enemy prophets destroyed and wiped out of the land. He doesn't mention any of that. He's completely focused on what God has not yet done. He loses his focus on the victory on the victories and is focused on the defeat. He's isolated himself. And he makes himself feel even more isolated than he is. He says, I'm the only one left. When he knows his good mate, Obadiah, who was working in the king's house, who had protected the other prophets, was still alive and kicking. He was still doing great. He was probably celebrating the breakthrough that Elijah had had the day before, but he doesn't remember that. And he focuses on what he's done right and what everyone else has done wrong. Oh, this is a good one. This is the real voice of self-pity. I've done it all right, and it's about them. It's them and their issue. And God, if, it were, you, just, if you could just clone me, Lord. Just clone me. Why, why bother with all these others? Just clone me, and we'd be fine. Anyone else recognize that voice? You're not going to admit it, are you? Happy to raise your hands in worship, but not now, right? I get you. <laughs> it's fine. That's the voice of self-pity, isn't it? When we're so focused on what we've got right and what everyone else has got wrong. And then he believes the enemy's version of the future, that his life is going to be ended. The beauty is this. God meets Elijah right where he's at. He meets him in that place. And we're about to hear that part of the story, but I just want us to reflect for a moment because there's some things we can learn from how Elijah got lost that you know sometimes prevention's better than cure god is about to cure elijah but a word about prevention is this the first thing is when we got focused on what god has not done we start to lose the plot so live with a life of gratitude focus on what he has done and when you know when when we focus on the vic- on the losses but not focus on the victories we tend to wander off and get lost. That's why every year I write down stories. I've told you before, stories, every story I hear, not just so I can use them for preaching illustrations. They do my soul good. I read them through. When I start to feel myself wavering on the inside, when I start to feel the joy, the spark going, I read the stories through of what God has done. I was making notes this morning of the stories, so I'm thinking, these are great right now, and this is great in the moment, but in a few months' time, I might really need these stories. I might really need to hear the stories of people who got saved through King's chorus. I might really need those stories. So I write those stories down. I make a note. I even wrote in my phone there, remember this day. Do you do that? Do you record the stories of what God's done? Because you might not need them on the day that you hear it the first time, but you might need them six months later. But like even this last weekend, Caroline and I were in France with a team, and uh, the team that are doing great, by the way. We sent four of them five years ago. They're now nearly 100 on a Sunday morning, adults, and another probably 30 or 40 kids. Just amazing. God's growing the church and blessing them. And just even in the first session, normally in France, it takes a few sessions to kind of, kind of get Get where we want to get to. But the first session, Caroline prayed for this lady, herniated disc. She'd been in agony for five years, could hardly sleep, could barely kind of move around without pain. And God just, I mean, it wasn't like a gradual, I got slightly better. She was instantly healed, 100%, totally healed. It was just incredible. She's crying. Her kids are crying. I saw her two days later on the Sunday before we left. I said, how are you doing? She says, I am completely 100% pain-free. Her husband's not a believer. I said, what does does he make of it? She said, uh, her daughter said, he does not know what to do with himself. He keeps saying, be careful, be careful. But he's like, does not know what box to put this in. He's got no frame of reference for this. I write those stories down. Remember these things. And, and then connect with community. When, when the, the, the reason, One of the reasons he got lost is he'd isolated himself. But connecting with community is absolutely cr- critical. In the New Testament, it talks about the apostles. They were beaten, it said, and then what did they do? They went to a prayer meeting. <laughs> The first thing they did after being beaten and imprisoned was, when they got out, was to go to a prayer meeting. Why? Because they knew they needed community, and everything in you, when you're in a funk like this, wants you to isolate yourself, or you know you're heading towards this, wants you to isolate yourself. That's the time to keep turning up. That's the time. That's how I've, numbers of times, I've been saved from going down a very dark path. Why? Because I just kept turning up. I just kept going to small group. I just kept coming on a Sunday. I just kept going. Sometimes I have sheer bloody-minded obedience just because God says, turn up. So I turn up. Keep turning up. It's, and it's amazing. I could tell you so many stories of how God, as I've just not wanted to be here, not wanted to be in a certain group with Christians, not wanted to be there at all, but when I just turned up, a song really spoke to my heart or someone brought a prophetic word or the preach was just for me. It's those moments but you don't get those moments if you don't turn up. You don't get those moments if you isolate yourselves. You don't get those moments. So sometimes, and some of you need to hear that word this morning, just keep turning up. Just keep turning up. Remind yourself of who else is in the battle. Elijah had forgotten. He just got isolated and full of self-pity. Remind yourself who else is in the battle. You think you're alone in your situation? Let me tell you about our, our friend, one of the churches uh, who leads uh, oversees a group of churches in a country I can't name because if I did, he would be in danger. It's an African country, uh, mostly Muslim majority, and he's in the rural, rural area. And his support, one of our guys who flies in to help him, recently could not land because the whole area was flooded. The runway is just mud, and he couldn't even land. The, they couldn't even land the plane, so he had to go back. So he hasn't had any support, anyone going in for months friend gets back to where he was flying from, gets in contact, so sorry, I couldn't come and see you. We just couldn't land. He says, don't worry, God is with me. I've just baptised 328 people. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you think you're on your own? (laughs) And and we are on our own. We we do get isolated, but man alive, he's really on his own. (laughs) He's really on his own. Remember who else is in the battle. And remind yourself that your life is in his hands that no one can take your life until god says every day that is appointed to you is written in his book there's some things we can do to to navigate ourselves out of getting into this place some preventative things we can do but let's read on to see what god does with elijah god said to elijah Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord and behold the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore over the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. The Lord wasn't in the wind and after the wind was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire the sound of a low whisper. The Hebrew verse actually there says the sound of silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel, have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even only I am left and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah is on Mount Horeb, which is the other name for Mount Sinai, which is where God first met Moses. It's where God really began to intervene in the life of his people. And you notice the kindness of God. He doesn't lecture Elijah. He doesn't doesn't moan at him for, you know, just the state that he's in. He just asks him this question again. What are you you doing here? Because Elijah knew he shouldn't be there. God had already given him instructions as to where he should be. But he was in complete rebellion. He was running. And that's how he'd ended up here. And the beauty of it is that even when we're not where God wants us to be, he still meets us there. He still meets us there. even No matter how far you feel like you are from where God wanted you to be. Some of you here this morning, you know where God wants you to be and you're not there. No matter how far you are from that place, God will still meet you in that place. And he, and he, and he meets with Elijah and... and Sometimes, you know, when we go backwards, God uses that backwards to take us forwards. He reminds Elijah of what he's done before. He does the same things that he's done, he did with Moses. The same thing that Moses witnessed hundreds of years before. The fire, the earthquake, Moses had seen it all before. God does the same things to remind Elijah, this is where your people came from. This is where your people come from. And sometimes when we go backwards, God uses those moments to take us forward. It was actually fun even in France. uh, As part of the messages, Caroline shared a couple of stories. I asked her to share a couple of stories of things that had happened in the past. Some of our story that she'd been directly involved with. And she shared those stories. And afterwards she said, you know what? I'd forgotten those things that even happened. It did me so much good just to tell those stories again. Even though she was the one involved with the story in the first place, it did her so much good. Sometimes God takes, as we go backwards, God uses it to take us forwards. But then he meets Elijah in a very different way. You see, the emphasis before had been on the the big, the, the loud. But God meets Elijah in the still, small voice. I want to encourage us when we're in these types of seasons, don't despise the, sti- the ways that God wants to meet with you. You know, we want the angel at the end of the bed. You know, we want the signs in the heavens. But God has an amazing way to speak to us just the way that we need it. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows that Elijah didn't need that right then. He, Elijah had seen all of that stuff and he was still stuck in the same place saying the same old thing. And yet it was the still small voice that began to move him forward. And I've seen that, you know, one of the biggest funks, the despair, even depression that I've been in came a few years ago when I was ill, there was no diagnosis, I was in such a terrible state. And God began to speak to me through that season. And it did not come in the way I wanted it to. It came in many ways, but in part through two lads I met one summer. One had uh, one leg. And as I met and connected with this lad and we were kind of around him, he lost his leg at a young age to cancer, but there was not an ounce of self-pity in him. I mean, he flew around the room. His mum showed me videos of him skiing with one leg on. I mean, just like with one, le- one ski, he was like doing stuff that I couldn't even dream of doing. Just incredible. And then a few, uh, over that same period, we met another lad at the beach. Uh, we've noticed over time that lots of parents don't play with their kids when they're on holiday. Note to parents do that. Um, we play with our kids, so we always hoover up other kids who just want to kind of join in. So we hoovered up one lad, and he uh, joins in, and his name was Freddie, and he had one arm. And we were playing in, in the beach and throwing the ball on the water, and Freddie kept dropping it because he only had one hand. So I said to Ethan, "I'll oh, put, put a hand behind your back. We'll, we'll both, we'll, we'll catch the ball with one hand. And Freddie holds up his stump and said, I've only got one arm, as if we hadn't noticed. And then a few moments later, we have an ice cream with him, and he holds up his stump again to Caroline. He said, I'm the only one in my school with one of these. And Caroline said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And he said, I decided to make it a good thing. You know, that, I mean, I'd heard messages, I'd had prophetic words, but that was a thing that penetrated because I saw a lad who's not even a believer, as far as I knew, and I realized that he was so. Both of these lads, I mean, I, we've hardly met any kids in our lives with, with, who've lost limbs. We met two in the space of a few weeks. Both of them, not an ounce of self pity in their hearts, and yet I was riddled with it. Just expose what was going on. And don't despise how God wants to speak to you in those moments. I decided to make it a good thing. I don't know I'll ever meet Freddie again. But that phrase, those words will stay with me for the rest of my life. Because when I'm in hardship and when I'm in difficulty, I realize I've got a decision. Am I going to decide to make this a good thing? The weakness, the vulnerability, the brokenness, am I going to decide to make this a good thing? Freddie's prophetic words echo in my heart. And lastly, we come to the end of the story, and this is God's final piece for Elijah. And the Lord said to him, go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of a whole, I'm not sure who, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, you shall put, shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. You see, Elijah had said, my enemy is going to win, but God has said, no, Ahab is going to be defeated. Elijah thought that he was on his own, but God said, no, 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 there's 7,000 others that you don't even know about that haven't bowed the knee. Elijah thought he was finished, but God had a fresh commission for him. You are not done yet. And some of you, you're in the midst of despair, depression even, and the word you need to hear this morning is, you're not done yet. While you're still breathing, God has got a plan for your life. You're not done yet. And you know what? For us, there's even better news because Jesus was the greatest prophet who was alone, who it looked like was finished because it looked like sin and death had overcome him, who looked like he didn't have a future and yet God raised him from the dead. And we follow in his footsteps, the greatest prophet, greater than Elijah, who walked this same road who, thought, who, who spoke out, Father, why have you forsaken me? He entered into our lostness. He entered into our sense of abandonment. He entered into our darkest place and yet came through it and rose from the dead. And we follow him. And we follow him. And so take courage this morning. And for those of you being baptized, I want to encourage you that no matter where your journey goes, this is a high moment for you, but there will be low moments. And I want you to know today that God will be with you in those moments. And for each one of us, remember the story of Elijah, that we can get lost on our spiritual journeys, but God is with us and he will meet with us. There's some things we can do to stop ourselves getting into that place. There's some preventative medicine we can take. We must not ignore the warning lights in the spirit. But lastly, remember that God is the one who's got a plan for restoration. That no matter how lost you feel, He has got a way back. No matter how far you are from where you should be, He has got a plan for your life. And some of you even need to send this message to people, friends, family members who you know have got lost. And if you're hearing that as a recipient of one of these, I want to encourage you. God has got a plan for your life no matter where you are. He is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Let's baptize some people, shall we?